You're listening to the Glory Girls podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I'm your host and executive producer, Jet Perrazzo. Thank you so much for listening. Before we get started, I want to give you a little bit of background on how this all began. Idea was sparked for this podcast in the summer of 2022. I was staying in northern Nevada recovering from shoulder surgery at my mom's. And anybody of you know that how rough it is to actually like stay with your folks when you're grown. (laughs) I needed a vacation. So I got onto Turo. And I was looking through cars and I said, okay, that one. And I chose this black Mercedes SUV for a a handful of days up in Lake Tahoe just to get away for some sanity. And so I go to pick up the car and I meet Donna and she is vacuuming out the car feverishly. She's trying to get it ready for me, you know. And uh, we start talking and... You know, by the time I had dropped off the car and she dropped me off at my mom's, I knew that I had found a like-minded friend. Together we are two times the fun, and it wouldn't be as much fun without her. Please welcome my co-host, my sidekick, the extraordinary, inspiring, and captively honest Donna Jett. It's our first podcast, Donna. What are you thinking? My first impression? Well, I don't know. I thought you were adorable because you had that big fluffy dog with you. (laughs) So I thought it was pretty cute. And you had mentioned that you were a musician. I thought that's pretty fascinating because I don't really meet a lot of musicians around here in the area. So I could relate a lot with uh, some of your sharing when it came to your mother and how you felt like you were, you had a relationship that was a bit stifled and that you didn't have a lot of satisfaction in. I empathize a lot with that type of relationship because I had just gotten out of a relationship with my ex and he was very much a narcissist and uncaring and didn't really have a lot of feelings and empathy towards me so I know that that's a horrible relationship to be in and I empathized with you on that and so I felt like you needed a friend and I was happy that I could be there for you and it's funny initially I was just offering you a ride home which I never do but I did I offered you a ride home and 
before you know it, we you were in my car for like an hour. We were just chatting it up. It was great. Had a lot of connections. Yeah, it's it's kind of a unusual to make fast friends. <laughs> Very unusual yeah. to be fast it's friends. It's weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, but I I felt I don't know. I felt like you needed a friend, and I I kind of know exactly how that feels. Just love how open you are and how adventurous you are because. It's not every day you have a music artist from Nashville approach you and say, hey, do you want to do music together? You want to do a podcast together? I felt like you were a godsend, honestly, and I still do. I think you're you're just you just came out of like left field, honestly. <laughs> it's like, where did this lady come from? You know, and and I just I'm honored that you saw the value in me to be part of such a big thing that's going on for you right now in your life and I feel very blessed you're like you want to write music and I'm like I only want to do some do stuff that glorifies God and I love how you were like yeah me too and I feel like we have a connection that God brought us together actually I was just really excited by the endeavor and the idea I love the fact that you were open to my ideas and my thoughts and we sat down and pretty quickly put words on a piece of paper and had a song written within 45 minutes I think well Donna it's time to move right along and let the listeners get to know us a little bit better. Tell me a little more about your seven years in a same-sex relationship. Yeah, she she was very flossy and, you know, drove nice cars and liked to give me really nice gifts and swooned me. How'd you, how did you guys meet well, each other? Through a party, friends of friends. What do you mean by flossy? Oh, she had all the designer stuff and the high-end car, you know, nice Does car. Bougie? Yeah, bougie. And she okay. was, she liked to spoil me and I fell for that. I liked being spoiled. So we would joke like, you know, women know what women want. Uh-huh. Chanel. <laughs> Louis Vuitton <laughs> we'd be like oh we don't have kids we have Louis Vuitton and how long before you guys like did you start off as friends and she was just trying to like did you not understand no she always to, was kind of like a dude like was she a very like a butch kind aggressive of kind of was she like was she feminine or was she like a more no masculine? she was like a bulldog a bulldog okay does that mean a masculine female yeah like a she didn't wear makeup she okay. wore track sweatsuits okay she was very intelligent very very intelligent and manipulative mm. yeah mm. and before this relationship had you ever had experience with other women so yeah, it's common in the in the adult entertainment to try that all regularly. <laughs> how old were you when you had your first experience? Um, shortly after I started dancing, I was curious. Okay. Did what was it about 
being in a relationship with a woman that appealed to you more, if not more at that time than a man? Was there, was it? There was a lot of things like one, I didn't have to worry about getting pregnant and you have different dynamics when you're with a woman. At least I did with that woman where women are more protective. They're, whatever they you have they just take and make it better <laughs> so mm-hmm. women have a quality that men don't offer uh, it's been said to me by a um, mental health professional that one of the reasons women seek relationships with other women is because they didn't bond with their mother do you think there's any truth in that for you My mom, it's possible because I know when I was young, my grandma had me a lot. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really sure the full story Mm -hmm. there. Like there was times when I was with my grandma a lot. So I'm not sure. I wouldn't say my mother and I are estranged or anything. We we communicate she's not the most I don't know like she'll always give me money which is great for like the holiday like for Christmas or my birthday or something it'll be like here's a hundred bucks I'm like thanks mom and I'd be like you know don't you want to get me something like a gift (laughs) you know something more personal so now she tries to be a little more personal but it took me kind of saying like there's no thought in this hundred dollars is it intimacy emotional intimacy different when you're in a same-sex relationship so I felt actually more emotionally connected Mm -hmm. yeah she is more emotionally available than dating the men you've dated in the past yes yeah a big benefit i think how old were you donna when you first met oh my very first time or the last one the seven year one the seven year so you've had multiple female relationships yeah i did yeah it was a dancer it was very common to have other girls around and be that party girl so what about another thing um that I've been told by mental health professional is that, oh, boundaries of people that tend to go this way. It's like, they don't see that boundary that straight people have. Yeah. Yeah. It's a codependency. Uh, um, I'm learning about codependency and how you think the codependency isn't quite what you think it is, where it's more like, You stay in this debilitating situation because it makes you look better somehow and you're gaslighted the whole time. I don't, it's weird. And people stay there and they don't, they become enablers. So compared to me now, your platonic female friends versus like the intimacy that you find with your platonic female friends versus the emotional intimacy you found when you were in a same-sex relationship. 
So my ex was really controlling though. So it was hard for me to have pretty much anything outside of her. It was, Mm -hmm. so that was difficult. And I actually ended up with a lot of really bad anxiety from the, just the level of control. How old were you again when you guys started dating? I was 30. And how old are you now? I was 25. Well, how old was I when I started dating her? 2005 or three, 2003. Okay. And how old are you now, Donna? I'm 49. How many all in total? My last two uh, relationships have been psychopathic narcissists. How many women have you dated versus how many? I had two, I had two official girlfriends. And how many boyfriends? Oh man, so many. A lot. I was curious about the emotional intimacy because the boundaries are so different with straight people versus, would you consider yourself still bisexual or would you consider yourself straight now? How do you straight? You see your gender. Okay. Yeah straight you identify as yeah straight. i'm completely straight i can't seem to find a good guy <laughs> girl you and me both and most of the, most of the world here i'm i understand why women go <laughs> well a lot of times another thing i've been told by mental health professionals is that women will become that way about 10 percent of women will will switch and have a relationship with a woman having previously never had a relationship with a woman before after being in a, a domestic violence situation with the man. And then there's, yeah. a, there's about half oh. of those women will stay lesbian, you know? So my girlfriend, that's exactly why she was a lesbian and she did not hook up with men at all ever even by accident. It was because she had been molested by her cousins when she was very young oh wow yeah and she i swear she had demons Mm, goodness yeah so tell me a little bit about what brought you to commit your life to jesus christ like you said earlier when we were talking off camera that there was a certain person your mom's friend also yeah Mm -hmm. and then also um if you want to share with our listeners about some of the other things that brought you to whatever you feel comfortable sharing i came to tahoe just to kind of escape a relationship the with the girl she was delusional she was fantasizing ways to kill me (laughs) and where were you living before you moved to tahoe um, I had a home in Vegas, Las Vegas. Okay. okay. So tell me a little bit about that. After when you moved to Tahoe, tell me about that. So I just kind of ran away. Had a boyfriend help me to get out of the house. I filed a restraining order and then packed up and moved. No, I was still dancing at the time, and I was in a relationship where the guy was very into money himself, party lifestyle. We partied a lot. I was pregnant multiple times. We wanted to have a baby. Every time I got pregnant, though, he would just kind of chill out like, oh, I don't want to be a dad. I don't want to be a father or a husband and like basically any and all responsibility shirking. 
he liked when I had my girlfriend because we could raise the baby and he could just be the donor. <laughs> my girlfriend didn't like it when I ended up pregnant. So when you left that, what to me, it sounds like a very emotionally abusive relationship with that woman in Vegas. Yeah, you- she was extremely controlling. Right. And then you had a relationship with, you had a boyfriend at the same time? Yeah. So I kind of started, you know seeing him okay and then was that was she your last same-sex relationship yes so it really it really traumatized you very much didn't it well relationships are hard i don't know why everybody wants one but it's like no one knows how to maintain one difficult yeah yeah it seems like people really struggle with that i know i do i'm yeah especially the more sensitive you are the harder it seems my girlfriend was good to me in many ways but she was also wicked too she would like hide my mail I had a foreclosure I didn't even know about it and she wouldn't tell me I lost my house yeah oh my god be like managing my affairs and she was embezzling money (laughs) Oh my gosh. Did you, ever, yeah. did you ever report her to the police for that reason? We went we went in circles a little bit about some different things. The one you said there was a multitude of things that kind of accumulated. Is that right? That made you choose God over so everything? My last relationship, we had three abortions before I came to Christ. And I think that was kind of the I had a couple of things like I was going to Burning Man and I was just like, this is the biggest party in the world and I am miserable and like, what's going on? It was such a detachment and there, and I, I don't know, I was seeing in the spirit. I started to see in the spirit. I was doing probably too much drugs and my lifestyle was catching up to me. My dad had just died you know, and he was supposed to be a good guy, but he died. He died looking at himself in the mirror in the house with no power. They were in foreclosure and he had a gambling problem, a huge gambling problem, and it was destroying everyone and including himself. And I was just like, I was at the time I was working out of North Dakota <laughs> looking at the clubs out there and oh wow making so much money and so miserable like what type of clients did you have they're oil people what year was that burning man that you went to where you had like that epiphany it sounds like you had an epiphany at burning i did yeah it was 2013 and and the whole time i had this lady i used to dance with in washington state she was my girlfriend at one point and she was like she came to Christ. Like I'd be out in Vegas and 10 years later, you know, she's like, Donna, Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I don't know how I can do that right now. Bad, like kind of stuck on my money, you know? And I would just tell her straightforward. That's pretty much how it was for me. I was like, yeah, I, I don't know how I can do that. You know, I'm, I'm pretty addicted to this money and this dancing. Like, I don't know how I'd support myself. And, but she was always telling me about Jesus. And then Becky Poole comes back right after I get back from Burning Man. She's like, pops up on my Facebook. I haven't talked to her since I was 
a kid. Mm-hmm. What have you been up to? You know, she's the most Christian lady I know. She was a stay-at-home mom the whole time. What have you been up to? I'm like, oh my God, I can't tell her what I've been doing. <laughs> and I said, I always wanted to be like you when I grew up. And she's like, you, you still can. I'm like, I'm 40. I'm like, I felt like Satan kind of robbed me my so much of my life already. Like children and husband, family. Yeah, it was just, I had a heart to heart with God after Burning Man. I was like, people are so blind. It's Burning Man, Black Rock. you know like I don't know they say they give you a hug they say welcome home you're like and I already had like God's Holy Spirit in my heart from I believe when I was with Becky Bull and you know when I was a teen very young 12 13 years old so I think a lot of God's word was in my in my in my heart already and that's how I knew I knew the abortion was murder. I knew there was a perverted version of, of God in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I, God, you don't realize what your gifts are. Everyone has gifts. And apparently you have them, even if you're not born again, you know, we all have gifts. Mm-hmm. Like those are just got what God gives us. We all have special gifts. And I learned mine were evangelism and um, discerning spirit. So I'm pretty good at it. So I started seeing a lot in the spirit. I go to the club and I would just feel the darkness. It was weird. So God was really working on you in multiple ways at that time. I was working in the strip club and the Holy Spirit was pounding me it was it was crazy I was having these moral dilemmas like trying to get up on stage and work and (laughs) and this is after being a dancer for 20 years started wearing on me or something you start viewing your clients or as you start viewing them differently too oh yeah that's normal they're just like you know why you do that is because you steal from them. You steal and you lie and you cheat. Like, you know, if you can get over on them, you know, that's a good day. You didn't have to work so hard. I actually had a close friend in college when I was going to TMCC before I transferred out here to Austin P. And she was a stripper. Mm-hmm. And she actually set me up with an audition. And back then I was running all the time. I was dancing ballet. I was five, nine, a size 12. So I was looking really fit. You know, I had, um, well, almost a six pack. Okay. <laughs> you know, I was running all the time, long distance. And one of her friends, I friended her and she was also a stripper, black girl. This was 2000. 2000, 2001. Tammy was her name. She's a real short little thing. And she had, um, she had a, a, a high rise apartment just right off the river. That tower is still there. Downtown Reno has like multiple different colors. She was like on the 12th floor. And I was so impressed, you know, by what she was able to do for herself. And I think she was only like 23 or something, 24. She made a huge impact on my life, but I ended up, they even set up an audition, bought me a legal, a legal teaback thong. 
<laughs> a dress, took me to the store in Reno. And we're, I think you know what I'm talking about, what store <laughs> off the main drag there. Yeah. From all the strip clubs. Bought me a dress and I, the day I was supposed to go, I chickened out. And you know why? Because I said, I was studying music. I said, I don't have to do this. I have a special talent. Yeah. I have singing if I want to perform for people. But the reason I bring this up because Tammy showed me how to work men. And it took me years to undo that, what she had taught me. Because I think what, what she, it was just like what you're saying. You're trying to get one over on them. There's always trying to get them to gift you free things, plane tickets here, vacations here, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. I mean, I used to think about different ways I could rob them. <laughs> it yeah. gets like you know you, because you know what the end goal is for them. Mm -hmm. So you're like, oh, if I had end some goal, business, meaning they want to sleep with you. Right? Yeah, you yeah. know, you leave with yeah. them. You go so much easier than dancing. <laughs> you're like oh yeah let's go have some drinks you know and so yeah you and then you just don't respect them that's part when of your, when in your mind did that you said you were starting to see things differently and you're starting to really resent your job and you felt really burnt out but you're also having this spiritual like epiphany and coming to jesus Feeling. So I realized the person I was, was not, I was not happy with myself. And, you know, people would say things like, you only want to hang out because we have drugs. Mm -hmm. And it was true. <laughs> mm. So how long did it take you? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you did it for so long that it became kind of like second nature to treat people that way, the way you had. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And it became, I would, I would assume it bled out through your work life into your personal life. How long yeah, did it So the relationships I had were not good relationships. How um, long did it take you to break that habit of, and, and stop doing those bad things that were against God? And so I, re I repented. I came to Christ right after burning man in my attic i had a long heart to heart with god i could see the areas in my life that were missing that where he would help complete for example my abandonment issues with my father talk to me about what your views were on abortion before probably like the rest of the people in the world i just didn't have time for god to think about god like did I deny that there was such a thing as God? No, I wouldn't even go so far as to say I denied it was even a baby because I pretty much was very truthful and honest with myself about that being ending the life of a person, you know. Did you feel so, pressured? How many abortions did you have, if you don't mind sharing with our audience? three just with my son's dad and then two others but what? I lost my first child she drowned and I think 
I could not really mentally cope with the idea of having another child after that. How old were you when you had your first child? I was 17. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot emotionally. I was, I buried her when I was 18. So she was 16 months old. She drowned. I'm sorry to hear that, Donna. Thank you for sharing that with me. That's really very painful. I could imagine that's very painful to talk about. It was so long ago. She'd be like 30 something now. Weird to think I'd have a 30 year old daughter. I'd probably be a grandma. When you had those abortions, were were you pressured into it or was it of your free will every time or was it different? I chose them for the most part. And except for with his dad, my son's dad, he, he was just a big coward. Every time I got pregnant, he would just cower out. And I didn't really have any other anyone or thing else to bounce what I was going through off of that could give me good guidance and direction. If you could tell me like every time you chose that, was it financial? Was it the person not going to be in your life? Like what was the- It was money. How am I going to support myself if I'm pregnant? Because you were dancing at when? Yeah. Dancing yeah. at 18? How old, huh? were you, how old were you when you started? I started when I was 17. You started dancing at 17? Yeah. So obviously if you're pregnant, right, you can't dance. You can't be an exotic dancer if you're pregnant. It's always been the dilemma. I have had bad luck guys wanting to take care of me when I'm pregnant. During that time, during your career as an exotic dancer, see, how old were you when you retired? 40. Anytime between 17 and 40. Did you ever leave and try something else? Oh, I did all kinds of stuff. Talk to me about that. I started a tooth whitening company in uh, New Jersey, Jenkintown. You're fascinating, Donna. (laughs) I really am enjoying this interview. I went to fashion school in San Diego for design. How, How long were you there for? I was there for almost a year. I've been to Alaska so many times, Anchorage. That's where all the fishermen go. As a dancer, you actually kind of travel on sort of like a circuit because we don't have managers like in other countries like Canada. They have managers and they do um, feature shows. The States, you know, we just do lap dances. (laughs) So it's very different. It's more like burlesque in Canada. Yeah, they have shows. They put it together, their costumes. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of more old. Very different. 20s, kind of 1930s, kind of what. It's very different. Yeah. What exotic dancers used to be back then. It's more high end. Yeah. They have a burlesque show here. And actually in Nashville, the exotic dancers have to wear state law, two things. They cannot serve alcohol at the strip clubs. (laughs) So guys, it's BYOB, okay? Okay. And then of course they charge them like $30 entry fee. Mm-hmm. 
when I drove Uber, I used to drop them off and I would go get paid $14 a head every guy I brought. So I've got a full car. There's my <laughs> gas. Of course, I wanted to get out of there real quick because the way that dudes would look at me so like hungry. And I thought, how could you do that all the time with these men looking at you like they want to literally eat you? Like, <laughs> that's what that song probably Hungry Eyes is about. Hungry Eyes. I've worked in Atlanta, Georgia, in Texas, in okay. North Dakota. Okay. Maybe Montana. Um, Washington, California. Nevada. Yeah, the friend that I had in college, she worked at the men's club in Reno. Mm -hmm. I guess that's one of the higher end ones. And the yep. one that they set up a audition for me at was the one that's on Virginia Street. I don't know if it's still there and there's a hotel that's connected to it. Yeah, the Olympic Gardens. Something like that. I don't know what it was called back then. OG, I think. Yeah. This, I was 21 at the time. So this was a long, long time ago. Yeah. It's funny we, how between the two of us, we have some serious wisdom because we have both lived a life of sin and actively sinning. And we both have turned our lives around, you know. When I was like, okay, I'm going to stop having sex. Like, oh, that's, I thought it would be difficult, but it actually hasn't been that hard. <laughs> 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 so i'm like okay don't you see uh i think we've talked about this you know in private before but that you know since we're both celibate and i've been now celibate since 2012 and it's like you know going on 11 years now you know it's a long time years now and I am not easily manipulated by sins of the flesh, by money, by sex, by, you know, just straight up manipulation. I actually see right through it. It makes me laugh and also makes me sad for that person, you know, that's trying to get something, trying to use me or even an attempt to use me. And then I'm like, they have no idea who they're talking to. <laughs> have you? It's had just more disapp disappointing, I think, than anything you're like. Yeah, it is just another one. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. I'm off the list. Okay. <laughs> it really is. It actually, that's what we were talking about. Me, um, you know, I'm trying to. My goal is to conceive this year, you know, through IVF. And one of the things I thought about, people have asked me, well, what do you want? You want a boy or girl? Because you get to pick. You know, you can choose what you wow. want. Wow. Yeah, and I said, you know, I what whatever I'm, you know, whatever God gives me, but. I chose a donor that had a higher chance of probability of having a boy because the men's sperm chooses the gender. Right. So then I choose the donor that, you know, has had more boys. And the only reason I would think that is because there is such an issue with men in this world with the lack of respect for women, especially since we have our independence. It's like totally this very passive aggressive but also very aggressive abusive or we shouldn't put up with that we experience because men aren't men anymore they've been emasculated they feel emasculated because we've taken our independence so they don't know what to do so they lash out at us and, and one of those ways is to treat a lady like a whore there is a lot of, of objectification going on on both ends there's self-objectification yeah. That women and I know that I I totally self-objectified myself yeah. when I was living in sin. 
I know came from the root that of was it. a kind of a hurdle for me like okay now i'm a christian i shouldn't use my body the way i've been using my body you know i shouldn't be tempting men with you know to fall into sin it was hard i have a lot of identity with my sexuality and i used it pretty much full steam you know now we're going to analyze the song that we started off the show with it's just a song i wrote and recorded for my album training wheels called two feet in you can actually purchase the song on any streaming platform you can purchase it as a single or you can purchase it as part of the album and we're going to analyze the next verse Judge and think I'm a little too lonely, even pity me. Truth is, I don't need no easy man or a different bar every weekend. I hung up my party dress when I was born again. I decide to walk to feed it. Hallelujah, I'm born again. There's a part in the Bible that it talks about not to look back. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's a huge part of moving forward is that we don't get stuck in the past. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to do, like, for example, losing my daughter that haunted me for a very, very, very long time. And the abortions were kind of more the compound interest on that in a way to me just coping it was a way of coping with my loss and the fear of having another child and probably some lies from the devil himself you know that oh I'm just gonna screw it up or Mm -hmm. you know don't even bother you're not a good mother or something so when I was, when I conceived with Emmanuel, God literally gave me that gift to his grace and mercy abound. He gave me the name Emmanuel almost year to date when I had birthed him. All right, let's move on to the chorus. Two feet in, two feet in, past the point of those lyrics in the chorus well i think a commitment to christ a real one you have you do have to be completely all in it's called a leap of faith it's it's not called try it out and see how it feels and then you know it's like a marriage the lord wants all of us he wants all of us in our demise (laughs) (laughs) he wants to be devoted and committed and loyal and not to play games 
That's how I see two feet in. How do you see it? Yeah, I definitely see it as um, being 100% committed. And I see it as making a choice to not purposely sin. You know, making a choice to, I guess the opposite of not purposely sinning would be to live a chaste life. You say chaste, you mean like righteous? Yeah, righteous, celibate, unless you're married. And only sex is only for marriage between a man and a woman, in my opinion. For me, it's that, a man (laughs) and a woman. Because Uh, it's just not the norm anymore. I mean, moral and ethic is kind of like not the norm, would you say? I really think that the silent majority, which I think you and I are in that, has been too silent for too long. Yeah. Minorities speak for us and create real life like Sodom and Gomorrah situation, especially in the United States. That's my perspective. I mean, I don't live anywhere else, but here, I only know about other countries that are on the news or read, you know? And uh, film and television is a huge part of that. Yeah. And that's one thing I think we're going to have to touch on that. We'd love to have an episode about how porn has worked its way into mainstream TV and it's like forced upon us. You can start watching, thinking, uh, watching something and you're, oh my God, that's pornographic. Why don't they just cut two? I, I remember it's... like movies used to be like so good. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, would, they would be kissing and then they cut to the next morning, you know, they, and they wouldn't even show a bedroom scene, you it know, it wasn't necessary. It wasn't necessary. It's, it's okay to be implied, you know, yeah. a filmmaker, I feel like it's really important for me to make only family-friendly movies it's for shock value it reminds me of miley cyrus you know in her wrecking ball and stuff you know it's all for shock you know like oh because that sells and she's in country music like i am there's plenty of women who dress very provocatively i would say what i'm wearing now is probably the most provocative thing you'll ever see me wear years ago i would you know, I really liked um, or enjoyed wearing tops that showed off my cleavage. And I didn't think there was anything wrong with it until I walked two feet in. And I, like you, I changed my wardrobe. I don't really have much. The sexiest thing you'll see me wear is a cami, but, you know, my album cover picture on training wheels. Yeah, there's a little bit of cleavage there. I feel that's okay because they're not falling out at you like they used to be years ago. <laughs> you know I know like now when I it's funny because I'm you know where I came from and I will see a woman with her boobs hanging out and I'll be like okay lady <laughs> uh, yeah I have that same reaction it's like I'm, I'm like so- hi yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah dude you need an extra bra to hold your boobs in <laughs> So yeah, that actually covers your bits. Yeah. (laughs) And here I am having a knee jerk reaction and it's like, wait a minute, like I shouldn't be, you know, I should be, (laughs) it's funny that I'm like, oh, what are you hearing? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was looking at some pictures from country radio seminar that was this week in Nashville and that some of the other 
people that I'm associated with posted. And one of the girls, I was like, really? <laughs> yeah. Like I can see your thigh gap. I can see your inner thigh, a little bit of fat that she had because she's very thin. She didn't have much. I could see that. And I'm like, where is this girl's pants? You know, and since I walk two feet and I don't show cleavage and I also don't wear any shirt, uh, I don't wear any skirts shorter than my knees. Like I cover, you know, it's either, it has to go to my knee. I don't mm-hmm. show my thighs. Mm-hmm. It, and I also say it's one or the other. I'm either showing leg or I'm showing a little bit of cleavage, but not, you know, when I say a little bit, I mean like maybe an inch, not the way it was before, you know? Yeah. Like now I'll wear the camisole underneath. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I do that too. As opposed to nothing underneath. Right. Right. If it's a V-neck or something. Yeah. yeah. Like put a camisole under. Yeah. Those aren't the kind of guys that we want to attract anyways. Like, well, that's why I asked you about men looking at you different because I noticed that men started looking and treating me different. Yeah. What the big notice was, I wasn't getting, I wasn't turning heads anymore. Oh. You know, like I was before, but I was getting the bad kind of attention, which actually I think um, was even more triggering. And I actually kind of went the total opposite way and I put on a lot of weight too because I didn't want to be looked at that way I think it was hard for me to not use my sexuality to get attention from men and as a matter of fact you're right at that point a lot of attention from men did kind of subside then you do start questioning yourself like oh am I just not attractive anymore then I remind myself no I live a completely different life it goes into like people saying, well, you know, they're feeling bad for me. You know, most people were ha- really happy, excited for me that I turned my life over to God. But there was a few naysayers that were like, oh, it's just so pathetic. You just be- must be so lonely. How do you not have sex? You know, well, I think I was a sex addict. You had talked about going, you know, getting some online counseling for a sex addict or take classes online. I think I was a sex addict because I was a love addict. I was also trying to fill that void that only God can fill with men. And I I would openly say that I'm, um, you know, they say men are womenizers. Well, I'm a manizer, you know what I mean? I'm a, I was, I was that woman and, and, and actually it was eye opening not long before I totally committed, recommitted my life is older. Let's see, but he's probably in his eighties, black gentleman. Um, I don't know where I was. I was at a party or something. And he goes, Oh, she's a man eater to me. I was a man eater. I'm a, I'm a heartbreaker, you know, and that still stays with me to this day. Cause I'm like, I am not a man eater. but I was because there were really sweet guys that I passed on because they didn't check all these other boxes for me sweet guys that I could have been married by now happily married but I wanted everything I wanted a guy who looked like he was a 10 you know on all levels you know I wanted like a perfect guy that I don't even think really exists we all make kind of concessions. None of us are perfect. 
none of us. And I had a, a real connection with these guys. And I can count on one hand, you know, the ones I had a connection with that I feel like um, it could have been a lot more if I didn't break their heart. I, I, I will admit that I, I was breaking their heart because I was so like you, I was, I was really uh, fascinated with um, money. I was very fascinated with um, material things. I was vapid. I wasn't the deep, I mean, there was always a depth there, but I was covering it up. I was hiding really who I was. I wasn't even living my authentic life. But since I turned my life over to God, 100%, I can tell you, I am living my authentic life and I'm being my authentic self. And I go back to the thought that what got me there was how did I perceive things when I was a 15 year old girl, when I was still a virgin, when I was, I mean, I lost my virginity or gave it freely when I was almost 18 to a 21 year old bull rider. <laughs> Anyways, but I was wanting to marry him. That's the only reason why I gave it up. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, Hey now, okay, let's run off to, to Nashville together and you can get a job and you know, help me achieve my dreams in country music and all that. Well, that didn't go over very well, but you know, it didn't last. And there's reasons for that. We'll talk about that another time. My innocent self, before my innocence was lost or given away, who was that person? That is the person that I am now because I was never one that wanted to go out and hook up with people. You know, I always wanted to be married. I always wanted to be in a committed relationship. So I feel like I'm not only am I living my best life, but I'm also satisfying my inner child by living my best life. And when you can satisfy your inner child, I did a lot of counseling work. If anyone wants to know how I learned how to tap into <laughs> my inner child, if Donna that <laughs> hanging out with me and my other friends will say living with me is like living with a child genius or kid genius. But that's be only because I did that work to find my inner child. And to access that part of me. And I think that when you live two feet in, you are definitely absolutely being as true to yourself as you can, because every child has this innocence, every child, whether or not they know the name of God, we, it is instilled in us from the very moment we're conceived that we know we have a higher power. I agree. But as we have to take and like you and I have taken many detours to get there. We both have tried, had many different types of jobs. <laughs> we both have tried, you know, building our own businesses in different ways. And now in our forties, I, I think you and I, I think it's fair to say we're both living our best life. We still want more from life. Would you agree? You know, I just believe that God, you know, that's the beauty about having a relationship with God is that you believe that he is in charge and that he's got you. There's mm -hmm. a lot of verses in the Bible that say, you know, that if, from the beginning, before you were knitted in your mom's stomach, you know, he had a plan for you. And so right, it's one of the joys of having the peace of God is that you don't, you're, you're not really like 
my friend Oscar, he's always worried about, you know, his pension and his 401k and retirement. And, <laughs> and I mean, I don't know if it's a sin for me not to worry about those things, but. Well, worry is a lack of faith. Have you heard that? Yeah, I have. Yeah, it's a lack of faith. So when you don't. I just worry, feel like the Lord will provide and he has. Amen, sister. Yes. You know, and he has. Yes, totally. And he does, he comes through like, and he guides me. I see his guidance. I see his hand in my life. And that's amazing. That's. Yeah. <laughs> and it's important though, to continue living a life for God, not, not because you're being rewarded to do it, but because that's your will and your free will. Would you agree with me? So there is scripture that says what you're saying. It's basically, it's not by works that we're saved, mm -hmm. but by grace through faith, right? right? But we will have works in our life that is evidence of our salvation. That's what they say. So, right. Right. yeah. So we will be better and we will do good things uh, as we draw closer to the father. And I really, I really see you moving in my life. I think you've seen it too, since, uh, especially since I signed with, with nine North records last year and that happened not long after we met actually. And I had been in talks with them when we, when we met and I have broken records as an independent country music artist. And I really do believe it's because of God, because I know what my mission here on earth is. Maybe our listeners don't quite know yet, but I know the exact reason I'm here. It's not to just, oh, be a singer and look pretty and sing pretty songs and entertain people. That's, that's just, that's the delivery, right? That's, yeah. that's the, how to get the attention from other people. God gave me those gifts for a reason to, to attract attention. But the outcome and what the, what the mission is, is to bring people to God through secular music. They hear the music, you know, two feet in. I, I believe that's a Christian country song. You know, that's definitely not a secular song to me. You know, there's a lot of secular songs on the on the album. I have such an amazing story and just of strength and perseverance and tenacity and uh, overcoming diversity, overcoming a disability, surviving three car accidents and surviving being hit by a drunk driver. And when I tell people about the drunk driver surviving that, now we're over three years now since that happened and I'm still in physical therapy, as you know. So when I tell people that, everyone listens. Yeah, they listened before when I talked about having to drop out of college because you know, my, my disability or having a service animal, they listen or they have some compassion or, you know, but I do believe the reason the accident happened because God knew I was going to survive. He was going to make it possible that I survived. And because of my survival, everyone listens now. So it's like, okay, here's, him working in my life in this way because he does put us through challenges but he puts us through the challenges knowing already that we are going to prevail 
So do you see those, you said you see those, him working in your life and rewarding you. I see as, as, as being charting on five different country charts and, you know, breaking records as an independent country artist. And I know the reason I see him working because the more, the higher I climb, the more recognition I get, the more people are going to listen. And now he's give, he's put us two together last year. And I believe that's another part of that, of propelling the mission. I believe that you're a key partner in this mission. I believe that this is how he's working. I do too, actually. I believe that God clandestined us. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. So you, you see that him working that too, because I feel that way also. You've been such a willing participant in, in, in my crazy ideas. <laughs> How could I even say no? I'm like, yes. Still sounds like a great time. Together. How exciting. That's Let's make a record together. Best idea ever. <laughs> like, yes. How could I even say no? I was praying about it too. Cause I was like, I really want to do a podcast, but I need like the perfect partner because it's so more, it's so much more interesting when you have someone to, to, you know, go back and forth and banter and interview each sure. other, you yeah. know, and, um, then it becomes about glorifying the Lord and not about us and our egos. Right. Saying we don't have egos. I know. Right. I, have ego. I just right. keep the ego in check on a daily basis. Yes. <laughs> We, we have a, a suit of flesh we battle with. Let's play the next verse and kind of analyze that and then okay. call, it a, call it a day. Okay. Okay. It wasn't that long ago, mommy, God bless your soul. Tried to warn me, looks could only get me so far. Harsh reality, it's true and sobering. Often wonder if this journey I don't need no easy men or a different bar every weekend. That was a huge epiphany for me when I realized that I was acting like an easy woman, but I was attracting easy men. I want a man who actually can say no to a woman who comes on to him because he loves me so much. You know, for the same reason a man would want a, more of a chaste woman because you know, he knows that she's going to fight the urge because we're all tempted. <laughs> yeah. So that's the thing. Like you're out there, you're running amok, you know, you're, ter you know, you're causing all kinds of yeah out there. And yeah, the self justification, the self, um, not justification. Well, that's part of it. But the self objectification breeds more objectification from others. You just get, you're abusing yourself. You're abusing other people. And you're allowing other people to abuse you. It's like a vicious cycle. Uh, yeah. Abuse people, abuse people. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you and I both decided we had enough and we're off the miracle round and we're just gonna just I was I you know, it took some therapy. I went to this thing called CODA or okay. codependency. Okay. And I learned what it meant to be codependent, where you you grow up in this certain kind of toxic environment 
so that as an adult, you choose other toxic environments to surround yourself in to mm-hmm. make yourself feel normal. Right, right. And then you actually end up bonding with those people really quickly and they feel like you've known them forever. But it is like, um, so then when you meet somebody who ha- who isn't like that, it feels really foreign and uncomfortable to be around so them. You spend a lot of your, most of your time and energy being an enabler. Mm-hmm. helping somebody else do something yeah and yeah. giving their 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 life purpose donna do you think you're an empath too like i am um yeah i don't really like to to claim it but yeah i would say I do you definitely. walk in a room and do you can you feel other people's emotions or their physical yeah. in both yeah. yes yeah yeah, one time I felt this man had just lost his wife. I felt so much grief. It was just at a restaurant. <laughs> I wanted to cry for him. To fade in, to fade in, past the point of when. it for part one of our first episode tune in on sunday easter sunday for georgette jones our first guest on the glory girls podcast where donna and i interview her and we talk to her about the book that she wrote that led to the series george and tammy she is the daughter of legendary tammy Wynette and george jones